today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Romans chapter 10 tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 10. If you want to know how to get saved, take a look at verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul said, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Number one, in order for a person to be saved, they have to agree with what has been said here in these two verses. You have to Agree with it, and you have to believe it in your heart, which is more than just a mental acceptance of it. A lot of people are going to miss heaven by about 16 inches. They've got a mental knowledge, but they don't have a heart knowledge of it. Number two, the person has to recognize that they are a sinner. They cannot save themselves, and that they need a Savior. That's very important. The person has to recognize that they need a Savior. Number three, they have to believe that Jesus Christ alone is the Savior because He's the one that died for our sins and His sacrifice is what God honored. And we know that because He was raised from the dead on the third day. Number four, they have to confess this in some way before others. And it's not just a one-time thing where somebody comes up in front of the church and they say, I've accepted Christ, but it is a daily confession. In some way, people can not only hear what they say, but their lifestyle lines up with what is being said. In some way, they confess Jesus Christ as Lord over their life. And you walk it out daily. You, you talk it out, you walk it out. The most effective sermon that you'll ever preach, you don't have to open your mouth. It's the life you live. Paul said in verse 11, Romans 10 verse 11, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now the phrase, shall not be ashamed, means that if we'll place our faith in Christ and his finished work, 
that we will not be defeated. Now, that don't mean that we won't fail the Lord from time to time, and oftentimes we do slip and fall. But it simply means that we keep our faith in the finished work of Christ. And as we do that, just as Jesus is victorious, we are victorious. As I've said many times, if we don't quit, God won't quit. And the victory can be ours. Verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. When God looks at mankind, he does not see a Jew a Gentile, a black or white. He sees the red blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It's either been applied to the doorpost of the heart of the individual by faith, or it's not. He sees the saved and the unsaved. That's what God sees when he looks at mankind. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Anyone can call upon the name of the Lord, and we're encouraged to do so. And if we'll call upon him, he'll be rich toward us. What does that mean? If we'll call upon the Lord and ask him to save us, he becomes our heavenly father. And what belongs to God belongs to us. As his child. All we have to do is ask him for it. He has unlimited resources. If he ain't got it. He can speak it into existence. The Bible says we have not. Because we ask not. Like I said. God is rich unto all who call upon his name. Uh, Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. Being saved is the greatest blessing. That you'll ever receive. Let me say that again. I said being saved is the greatest blessing. That you'll ever have. And it's not just for a select few. It's for the entirety of the human race. If we'll provide the sinner, God will provide the Savior. But people need to know. That's why Paul said in verse 14, if you'll look at that verse, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, there's a number of questions that Paul asks here, and I want to take a few minutes and go through each one of them. The first one Paul asks is, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now, Paul directs this question to the Jew and to the Gentile. Now, to the Jew, he directs it this way because despite of the the, the miracles that Jesus did in full public view of everyone, told them plainly that he was the Messiah and had the miracles and, and wonders to back it up, they refused to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah and Savior. Matter of fact, they didn't even see that they had a need for a Savior because in their minds, God had given them the law and they were special people because God had given them the law and in their minds, they were keeping it. But they really won't when you get right down to it. They murdered and crucified their Messiah. Paul directs this toward the Gentiles because despite the many miracles that God did in the Old Testament times, 
they still refused to accept Jehovah God, and they went and worshipped their own man-made gods and idols and so forth. Let me tell you, the greatest sin in the world is the sin of unbelief. That is why this world is in the mess it's in right now. It's unbelief. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. When Jesus announced in the little town of Nazareth that day, stood up in the synagogue and read Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty them that are bruised, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Every bit of that is what Jesus came to do. The sevenfold purpose of Christ. He said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they got so mad with him, they, they almost throwed him off the brow of the hill. It all started right there in the little town of Nazareth. And soon Israel followed suit. But had Israel accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Had the people run out of the synagogue that day spreading the word, we found our Messiah, this is the one whom Isaiah spoke about. Rome would have come in, they would have took Jesus, they would have crucified him. Jesus would have died on a cross to pay for our sins. He would have raised from the dead the third day. The sin debt would have been paid. The millennium could have started right then. But because of unbelief, it has subjected this world to an additional 2,000 years of pain and sorrow and sickness and storms and disasters. And because Israel wouldn't accept Christ, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. So he's turned to the Gentiles now to preach his word. But unbelief is the biggest sin. Matter of fact, Jesus addressed this in John chapter 16. Dana, if you will, pull that up. John chapter 16, verse 7. We'll begin right there. John 16, verse 7. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin. And here is the sin, because they believe not on me. Look at that. Because they believe not on me. You want to know why the world's in the mess it's in? It's because they do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest cause of this unbelief is because the true gospel of Jesus Christ is not being properly preached as it should. Most of what is preached today is psychology. It's either motivational psychology or relational psychology. It's the direction that this denomination right now is headed down. The road of psychology. I know it for a fact because I've been to the preacher's conference, sit there for eight hours, and they never open the Bible 
All they talked about was the brain and how it works, how we should counsel people, how we should not rebuke people and correct people because it makes them feel bad and all this kind of stuff, and it goes against the Word of God. The Bible says that when we pre- we're to preach the Word, preach it in season and out of season. They said that when we preach, we're not supposed to get loud because when you get loud, it causes people's brains to shut down. I'm sitting there listening, yeah, my brain's about to get shut down. Anyway, the rest of what you hear today is prosperity gospel. Send me $1,000 and God will pay off your mortgage. God wants everybody to be rich. Jesus was rich. Well, wait a minute, I'm reminded of a scripture where Jesus said, you know, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. But the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. But yet, these preachers today are trying to tell us that Jesus was rich. I think he was born under Mary and Joseph, and Joseph was a carpenter. That was about as low a trade as you could be in right there, was a, was a carpenter. But they say, all oh, the wise men brought him, you know, the gold, the myrrh, and the frankincense, and that's, that's where he got it from. Look, just don't pay that st- Stuff, no mind. It's a bunch of hoopla. The only ones getting rich off of this stuff are the preachers that are standing behind pulpits proclaiming it. That is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. Paul said, second question, How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? If people don't hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ, how can they believe and get saved? Well, the answer is they can't. That's why it's so important that we preach the true gospel and we support it. Paul went on to ask the next question, How shall they hear without a preacher? They can't. Preaching is God's way. It's always been God's way. It always will be God's way. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11 During the seven-year tribulation period, we see where God has two witnesses. Some believe it to be Enoch and Elijah. Some believe it to be Moses and Elijah. But regardless of who they are, these two individuals are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ during the great tribulation period. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, for the first time in human history, there is an angel flying through the heavens. People will be able to see him, and he's preaching the everlasting gospel. Preaching is God's way. It always will be God's way. We've got a lot of seeker-sensitive churches today that are doing away with preaching altogether. They say it's too old-fashioned, it's boring, it's this, it's that. We need to step up with the times, you know, if we'll just show a little short clip of Andy Griffith and we can talk about all the good things there or some other television program, that, that, just, that, that, that will attract more people. You can have all that if you want it, but I don't think anybody's going to get saved looking at Andy Griffith. All right. Jesus told the disciples, Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. You all know it, I'm sure. He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 
Let me read this to you. God's program must not be changed. God has chosen the manner of preaching to proclaim His Word. Of course, that can be done in several ways, such as gospel literature or even gospel music, etc. But however it is proclaimed, it must be the true Word of God. There is absolutely nothing in the world more powerful than a Holy Spirit-anointed preacher of the gospel. Someone who's truly been called of God, walks close to God, and is anointed by the Holy Spirit. They have something to say, and they say it in a powerful way. It's not oratorical capabilities or even educational or intellectual knowledge. It's one who's heard from heaven. They've been given a message by the Lord and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to deliver that message. There is nothing in the world more powerful than that. It is that means chosen by the Lord to take his word to a hurting world. When men attempt to substitute political means and ways in place of the preaching of the gospel, such is not the will of God. As well, whenever a church ceases to be strong in its preaching, that church has begun to die. The strength of the pew is according to the strength of the pulpit. Nothing will ever take the place of preaching and teaching the Word of God, as nothing can take the place of preaching and teaching the Word of God. If one were to look back in history, one would find that events turn not so much on military conflict or even revolution, but rather on the preaching of the gospel. For an example, England was heading the same way as France regarding the revolution which would have totally destroyed that nation had it not been for the preaching of John Wesley. His messages anointed by God stirred the nation and pulled it to the place that it should be in a political sense as well as other ways. While many other things may be given the credit, if the truth be known, it was the preaching of John and Charles Wesley which turned the tide. Had it not been for the preaching and ministry of Charles Finney, there may not even be a United States as it is presently. In thundering tones, he whipped New England toward God, which greatly decided the course of this nation. As well, it must be quickly added that if one will carefully study the messages of Wesley and Finney the and hundreds of others like them, one will find that they did not preach a political message, but rather the pure and plain gospel of Jesus Christ. Man's problem is not political. It's not economical or social, but rather spiritual. In other words, a black, evil, wicked heart is man's problem. The only solution to to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which alone can change men's hearts. That is our answer. That is our only answer. For the church to spend all of its energies trying to elect particular individuals to public office, thinking somehow to change the course and the direction by that means is futile. Even though those things certainly hold some significance still, that is not God's way respecting the church. The business of the church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and that alone. Now, let me make this statement. The preacher is important. 
but the ones who sinned, the preacher, is just as important. Let me say that again. The one whom God has called is important, but the ones who sinned, the preacher, is equally just important. It's important for our churches to support people like Harold Jones. Many are called, but few are chosen. Brother Harold Jones is one of the few who has given his life to the work of God and goes overseas and preaches the gospel and does what he does. He comes here once a year and he shows us the slides and all the things that he's done over there. And we know for a fact that this man is preaching the gospel. Is he going to save the world? No. But God have mercy on his soul if he refuses to do what God has called him to do. And God have mercy on us if we don't support and do what God has called us to do in sending him over there. Let me say this. The same can be said of our own radio ministry right here at the church. God has called me to do what I'm doing. I didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, it'll be great to be on radio and be like David Jeremiah, one of these other preachers. No, it didn't happen. That God started working on me when I was 15 years old. He opened the door for me to work in a little radio station in Wilson as a DJ. And why, and why was that? Because I was shy, bashful. Get up in front of people, are you crazy? <laughs> but God used that environment to build some confidence in me because he knew what he had lined up for me down the road. And over the years, God has provided the know-how. He's put the right people in the right places. He's provided the equipment. Other churches have spent $20,000 on their sound system and still can't get on radio. We spent six hundred, and we've been on radio now for three years, touching half of eastern North Carolina. Only God can do that, people. God has provided the equipment. He's provided the know-how. He's provided the finances. He's provided you. To support it. Now. No matter that God's called me to do what I'm doing. If you don't support it. It all falls to the ground. That's what Paul said right here. As he was talking. How shall they preach. Except they be sent. God have mercy on my soul. If I don't do what he's called me to do. And God have mercy on your soul if you don't do what God's called you to do. Now, I prayed over that today. I said, Lord, if you want me to say this, you're going to have to help me say it. Satan fights the preaching of the gospel like nothing else. Because that is the only thing that's going to save mankind. He attacks the preacher. He does what he can to divert their attention off onto other things, and he don't care what it is. He uses temptation. He uses hobbies. He uses fishing. He uses hunting. 
The list goes on and on and on that Satan throws at the preacher to get his attention off of what God has called him to do. He'll lie to them, try to discourage them, use any and everything he can to try to get them down. He'll attack, he'll attack the finances, make them think that they can make more money doing something else, and especially if you've got a trade and you know for a fact you can make more money, he'll throw that at you. He'll tell you you're not being effective, you might as well just quit. And when he's not successful in doing that, attacking the preacher directly, he attacks family members, attacks their health, gets them worried about other things, anything to divert the attention of the preacher off onto other things. Satan will do it. And then when he's not successful in attacking the preacher or his family, then he'll start working on those who send the preacher. Those who are sitting in the pew. Well, what does he do? He'll bring about events to where they'll stop their support. He'll attack their finances, their health. The list goes on and on. He'll make them think that there is something else that is more important. And our money is needed for that. Whatever that may be. He'll bring about events to where they'll lose confidence in the preacher. And this, by far, is Satan's greatest thing right here. He gets church members to gossiping about the preacher. People lose confidence. They stop their support. And Satan has been successful. Let me tell you, it makes no difference how called of God the preacher may be. It makes no difference how anointed they may be and how much education they have. If the people in the pew don't send the preacher, then Satan has been successful in his task of stopping the gospel. All right. Romans 10, verse 15 again. How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 is where this is taken from. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, the word beautiful in the Greek means the time of full bloom or development as well as blooming maturity or vigor. The word feet carries the idea of being swift as that of a messenger. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message that if it is accepted will bring peace to the soul of mankind. And having peace with God, there's nothing like it. There is a peace that passes all understanding. The phrase, bring glad tidings of good things, pertains to the changes that one experiences after they've given their hearts and lives to Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Their hearts been changed. They have a totally different outlook on everything. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the heart 
of mankind. But how can they get saved unless a preacher be sent? It takes all of us working together. It's not a one-man show. program today has been a blessing to you. We hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you. Music